Well, I want to um, read some church headlines for you, if I could. See if these sound familiar. Um, leadership is divided over the issue of control and who's in charge. Gender roles are being questioned. Um, the church is in conflict over the style of worship. Traditional marriage is being questioned. Uh, the leaders are not trusted. Um, the congregation is accused of economic, racial, and gender bias, or any one of those. Uh, there's been a lawsuit filed between two church members. Does that sound like stories you're familiar with in churches today? Unfortunately, yes, but I have a secret for you. Those are headlines from 2,000 years ago at a church named Corinth. Um, this week, we are starting a new sermon series uh, going through 1 Corinthians. I hated to see the summer go because I, loved, I enjoyed the sermon series on the different names of God, and there were a lot more names we could have looked at. But I'm looking forward to this one, too. We're just going to work through the book of 1 Corinthians from front to back. But I want us to understand the situation in the church because it makes what we're going to read totally different. Um, on this map, you see Corinth and Athens. It was a city in Greece, and it had a unique lo location which made a huge impact on the city and everyone who lived there. There's actually a narrow isthmus that connects what is a huge peninsula. It's called the Peloponnesian Peninsula which is the bottom of Greece. It's not an island. And Athens was the main city in Greece at this time in the New Testament. But off to the right, the land you can barely see, that is Turkey, and that is the Eastern Empire. And that's where so much of the raw material for Rome came from. And it had to come across through there, and then it had to either sail all the way down around that peninsula which was very dangerous seas for primitive sailors, or you had to cross that narrow isthmus. And then you could go on to Rome. And so either way, everything flowed through Corinth. It was a major point port. Uh, there's Corinth today. That city right in front of you, you see how the bay comes in, and to the east is this narrow, narrow strip of land, and you went across that, and then you put back in the ocean, and you won to Athens, Turkey, the east, or vice versa. And because sailing was so dangerous, most cargo actually went across here. And they even had developed ways with rollers where they would take whole ships across. Or unload and carry it all across. And so the result was that Corinth was a major seaport which helps us understand a little bit about Corinth. These are the ruins of Corinth today, uh, the ruins of ancient Corinth today. It was a typical port. It was a melting pot of cultures and peoples and languages. People were coming and going from literally all over the known world. And it was a seaport in every way. 
I've never lived in a seaport, but the reputations of seaports are not always the most positive. They're usually pretty wild places, um, and that was true of Corinth. One thing I wanted you to see in this picture, and that is that hill that is over Corinth, it's there today, you can go up there. Every city in the ancient world had a patron god or goddess. That's just how it was. And Corinth was no different. Corinth had a patron goddess, and her name was Aphrodite. And Aphrodite, here's a test of ancient history, Aphrodite was the goddess of love. Well, that wasn't always a good thing in the ancient world. So up on the top of that mountain was the temple for Aphrodite. It wasn't in the center of the city, it was overlooking the city. And it was an enormous temple. Because one of the main ways you worshipped Aphrodite is you went to the temple and you slept with one of the prostitutes. And history has shown us that there were thousands of prostitutes who served Aphrodite. You can imagine the atmosphere that cast over the whole city of Corinth, in addition to it being a seaport. So the truth was, Corinth was a pretty immoral place. It was a wild place. It was a place where literally anything and everything was okay. It was so much so that we know from other writings in the first century that Corinth had developed such a bad reputation for wild living, it became an adjective. You could say somebody living in Turkey, oh, you're acting like a Corinthian. And everybody knew what you meant. You were sort of out of control, just off the edge. And you were acting like a Corinthian. That's the reputation of this city. Sound familiar? A little bit like today where everything is okay? Wild place? Well, the interesting thing is there was a church in that very city. Founded by Paul on his third missionary journey. Remember, Paul had spent all of his work in basically Palestine, um, Syria, Lebanon, and Turkey. Because those were his home areas. That's where Paul was comfortable and he was quite content to stay there, except the Holy Spirit sent him a vision of a guy over in Macedonia, Greece, saying, come help us. And the Holy Spirit said, yep, Paul, I need you to leave your comfort zone, and I need you to go over to Greece, go over to Europe. And Paul obeyed that, and his third missionary journey was where he took that risk and went over to Greece, and he started a number of churches in all of the main cities of Greece, including this wild port of Corinth. And he actually stayed here for a year and a half, planting and starting and giving a foundation to the church in Corinth. And the church that Paul left behind, the church that was still going on, still meeting, it reflected the city. Most churches reflect the city we live in, the culture around us. That's where we come from. That's where we live. And it was no different for the Corinthian church. It was an extremely diverse congregation. There were people in the church from all these different cultures. There were Jewish believers and Gentile believers. There were Roman believers. There were Greek believers. Turkish, you name it. All of those cultures were in the church. It was full of differences and it wasn't just cultural 
There were economic differences in the church. There were rich and poor. You had masters sitting in one end of the pew and slaves sitting in the other end of the pew. They had pews, I'm sure. You had traditional Jewish Christians who had grown up in very traditional Jewish homes. And you had people who had been up on the hill of Aphrodite worshiping as pagans just a year earlier. And their backgrounds were totally different. And now they're all in the same church. And this church in Corinth became a melting pot. And because of all that, it wasn't a perfect church. As we will see as we work through the book of 1 Corinthians, there were all kinds of issues going on. Every one of those headlines I read you is from a part of 1 Corinthians that we'll study. All of those conflicts, there were leadership issues, there were leaders who were all about power. There were divisions. There were gender differences. There were economic differences, cultural differences. There was all kinds of confusion about sexuality. I still don't know what to put on the sign for the sermon that week. I tried a Christian view of sexuality, and my wife's like, I'm not so sure you want to put that out there. We're going to talk about that. They had to fight, they were fighting over it. There were marriage problems. They were fighting over worship. The role of women was up for grabs, and they were fighting over that. There were members suing each other in public court. The Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts speaking in tongues, it was causing conflict and open divisions in the church. And it's for all of this reason that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. It, that church was his baby. And he was far away now, but he heard what was going on there. He heard of the struggles. He heard of the fighting. And it was breaking his heart. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians. Later he'll write 2 Corinthians to try and help that church work through all of those conflicts. And when you think about all that, when you read the book, you almost say, well, I wish it wasn't in our Bible. You know, it would be easy to almost get a little ashamed. This isn't a good example of the church. Maybe we shouldn't have it in the New Testament. That's something we all sort of hang on to, isn't it? The perfect church. We all want that. We all want a church without problems. And the problem is we all act like there is such a church like that out there. And we're looking for that church. And too often today in the American church, when a church has problems, people just leave. And they go to a different church. Because the grass is always greener on the other side. And we're still looking for that perfect church, the one without problems. And if we keep looking, we're going to find it. The reality is, it's not out there. And we will keep looking forever because the perfect church does not exist. Please hear that. Every church has flaws. Every church is filled with members who are still struggling with sin. Even though they're Christian. They're not perfect. And they bring their problems with them into the church. And as imperfect people, they are a part of the problems. And no leadership team does everything right. 
there is no perfect church. And the reality is I'm glad 1 Corinthians is in our Bible. Because all of us are part of imperfect churches and we don't need to hear about these perfect churches that do everything right because we couldn't relate to them. And we'd sit there and we'd say, well, I wonder how they did that. Worse are not doing that. But we can relate to a church like Corinth. Oh, yeah, they're struggling with that too. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I don't know what. I hope they figured that out. Because we have our struggles as well. Every church is imperfect. And not only that, but I'm glad Corinthians is there because they were in the middle of a pretty pagan culture that wasn't thrilled to hear about Jesus and wasn't thrilled to hear about a Christian lifestyle. And yet Corinth was right there in the middle of it. And as we become a culture that is increasingly post-Christian, we need to have churches like Corinth that says, well, how did they handle that? And how did they handle people coming in who didn't understand the Bible, who didn't understand any of that, who were coming from a whole different perspective? How did they handle that? Because they had to. And so we get to have the church there to help us to look at 1 Corinthians. Which brings me to what I will call the first lesson from the book. And we haven't opened it. I get that. We are going to open it. Don't panic. But to me, the first lesson is there are no perfect churches. And we need to let go of that. And as the Corinthians did, when a church struggles, when this church struggles, when any church that you're a part of struggles, fight that instant desire to leave and go look for that perfect church. Rather, we need to, at that point, dig deeper and work harder to work through those challenges that we face because they will come. They come to every church. Because the truth is we don't grow when we leave. It's one of the lessons I was taught as a pastor very early on when I wanted to leave, when there were big problems. And every mentor, every advisor I went to had the same advice without knowing each other or talking to each other. And it was that very advice. You won't grow if you leave when there's problems. You grow when you stay there and help work through them. That's what stretches us. That's what challenges our thinking. That's what presents us with new ideas. And we need to hear that as Christians and as churches. And I see churches fight and I see people leave and they either go to a different church and then a different church. Or worse, they just quit going to church. And then Satan laughs because he has won twice. He has created conflict in the church and hurt Christians, and he has caused some Christians to pull out of fellowship with other Christians, and they're on their own. And there's nothing a roaring lion likes better than when he cuts an antelope off from the herd, and they're alone. Because they are so much more vulnerable. And that's what happens to us if the imperfections of the church drive us away from the church altogether. But the opposite is also true in this first lesson. If we don't run away, 
And if we work together and we talk and we pray and we listen and we work together and we pray for God's help and we work through our problems and we learn and we grow and we are a better church, we are strengthened. The church is stronger. But something else happens. There is a witness to the community around of how these imperfect Christians in God's power work through a really tough situation and look how they are today. Look how they love each other. And in our conflicted, broken, hate-filled world, what better lesson do we need to be holding up in a world that is so divided and so full of screaming at each other and, and banners and hatred what better time for the church to model how Christians with God's help are imperfect, but they work through things, and they learn, and they grow, and how they love each other. So that's the first lesson before we open the book. But now let's open the book and hear Paul's welcome to the Corinthian church. It's a physical letter he wrote them. It was copied and shared with other churches because so much of what he wrote was so valuable for all churches, including us today. I want to begin right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Um, I'm going to read the first three verses. Hold your finger and we're going to read some more. Hold your finger there. Don't just hold your finger. Hold your finger there. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now there's, a, there's an impact there. Okay, I want you to just pause for a second. Paul points out the first thing he says is, I am writing to you as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul is establishing his authority, his credentials. Because he's going to challenge some of the ideas of the church. He's going to challenge some of the leaders. And he wants everybody to be clear why, uh, who's writing this letter. We are hearing not just from our buddy Paul. We are hearing from the Apostle Paul whom God himself chose and put in his position. We better listen to him. And Paul knows he's going to have to say some tough things and he's going to have to challenge some popular ideas. So that's the first concept he shares. I am writing to you in my official role as an apostle of the church of Jesus Christ because God picked me to do that. Listen. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He identifies who he's writing to, the Christians in Corinth. He doesn't say anything about how good they're doing. What he does point out is who they are. They have been sanctified by Christ. They have been saved. They have been forgiven God is at work in their lives trying to make them better people, more holy, more like Jesus. And that's who he's writing to. Then he says in verse 4, I always thank my God for you. 
because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. For all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And the Corinthian church would have said, Amen, Amen, Paul, that's us. But notice what Paul is thankful for. Back in verse 4. I thank my God for you because of his grace given you. He doesn't say, I thank my God for you because of how good a job you're doing. He is thankful for the grace of God that has been given to them. And how they're evidence of the reality of God's grace. And then he uses a little sarcasm here. And you wouldn't get it in the first beginning of the letter if you didn't know what was coming. But he's being a little sarcastic there because the Corinthian church and a lot of the people in it were very full of themselves. Uh, we are super Christians. We are super spiritual. We've got all these gifts. We can do all these amazing things. It was sort of a God is lucky to have us kind of attitude. And Paul's saying, yeah, I've heard about how great you are. And up to this point, they're saying, yeah, that's us, Saul. That's us, Paul. Yep, that's us. You got us right. And they have no idea what's coming. Because he's going to call them on the carpet for some of those very attitudes. And how they had taken all of their spiritual progress and it was about me. It was about my status as a Christian. How I'm a super Christian way better than you. And they were using all of the things God had done in their lives for their own pride and to build themselves up. But Paul opens the door by just saying, yeah, I've heard what super Christians you are. And they're like, yeah, we're going to like this. But they're not. That's why I've called this sermon series Church on Fire. Because in many ways they saw themselves as a church on fire. God is using us, God is doing great things. But as we're going to see throughout the whole letter, the truth is they were on fire all right. But the building was burning down. They were fighting, they were conflicted, there were disagreements, there were cliques. Uh, the leadership was in a power struggle, worship was a, a disaster. All kinds of bad things were going on and, and they were just sort of in denial. And they thought everything was fine and Paul was going to challenge him on that and say it's not fine. In some ways it would be easy to look at that church and say, boy, this is a hopeless situation. You've got a church that's divided and in conflict. How many of you have been in a church like that? You just feel it when you walk in, don't you? I've been there. Every Sunday you sort of dread going to church. Who are you going to see? Who do you not want to see? What are people going to bring up? And you hope they don't bring it up. And you just, oh... And you got a group over here and they don't talk to the group over here. A lot of you have been in that. It's miserable. And then you have that kind of congregation and you put them down in the city of Corinth. That is so pagan and secular and immoral that it's a, a joke in the whole Mediterranean. You live in Corinth? Oh, wow, how was that? And there is all that. 
it would seem pretty hopeless. But we have to read a little bit more because there was one thing that made all the difference in the world. Verses 8 and 9. This God, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that makes all the difference. Paul says, I know there's problems there. I know what's going on there. And I know you may feel demoralized and defeated, but you need to remember, we are not just a human organization that has got to fix our own problems. We are the church of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. The God of angel armies is on our side. And it's going to be okay. That's what Paul wanted them to hear above all else. It's going to be okay. Because God is with us. He will keep you firm to the end. And one day we will get to stand blameless with Jesus Christ. Not because we're blameless. Not because we don't have problems. Not because we haven't messed up. But because of the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Just what we celebrated in communion. And Paul says, remember that. Don't focus that it's not a perfect church. No church is perfect. Focus on the firmness we have because God is with us and the blood of Christ will help us stand before the judgment seat blameless. And he wants them to remember that. And we need to remember that too. This is the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. You see, as I said earlier, when the church has challenges, we are, shouldn't be happy about them, but we also shouldn't hide them. Because challenges can be a testimony. We're real people, just like everybody else out there. And we still have struggles, like everybody else out there. And we're not a perfect organization like any organization out there. Just get a part of a youth sports league. You talk about conflict and politics, holy mackerel. Well, that happens here. But the difference is we have God to lead us, Christ as our head, our model, our director, and the spirit to help us. And if we allow them to work, and we work together as an imperfect church, as imperfect Christians, God can do amazing things. And people can be restored, and relationships can be restored, and health can be regained. And that becomes a testimony to the whole community. Look what happened there. Look at those people. They're different cultures, they're different economic levels, they're different races. And look how they come together and love each other. Something they don't find out in the world. But they see God's power through us here. And that's what we're going to look at as we go through the different tough issues of 1 Corinthians. I've talked to a few people about the sermon series and they said, well, you're not going to talk about that one, are you? And it's like, oh yeah, we are. 
I have not dodged any topics. I've assigned the hardest ones to Joe, and then I'm leaving. <laughs> no. We're going to look at them because Corinthians had to look at them. And churches today have to look at them. And we can grow from what they learned, what Paul taught them. And that's what we're going to try and do. But please don't run from those challenges. It's part of life. I, you know, it's a part of marriage. It's a part of parenting. It's a part of work. Why should we think it's not a part of church? But it's in that work that we grow and we each grow. And the love of God, the miraculous love of God, is evident to the community that's watching. And that's what God wants, to show His power. Let's pray. God, I thank You for the Corinthian church. Not because of their problems, but because You helped them work through those problems. And then you told us about it in your words so we could learn from their mistakes. So I pray that you would bless these coming weeks and that you would speak to each of us in different ways through 1 Corinthians. And that we would learn some important lessons so that roaring lion of the devil can't devour us. Father, thank you that you are with us. Jesus, thank you that you, it is your church and you're our head, our leader. Spirit, thank you that you are right here in every one of us ready to work and help us. Thank you. Teach us in the coming weeks. In your son's name, amen.